Have you noticed this, that you're not allowed to say Super Bowl anymore? anymore? We're omitting that from the podcast later on. Um, so the big game party is actually going to be this afternoon, and we hope that um, our youth can, can be there, and some of you youth parents can be there as well, um, as we cheer on the Broncos to victory. Um, Omaha, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so we're so glad that you're here with us in worship this morning. Um, and I've got a question for you today. Have you ever tried um, to fix something with the wrong tool? Um, in my house, I don't know how it is in your house, but in my house, um, we have a drawer in the house that has like your emergency toolkit in it. Really, it's a drawer that just collects stuff. But if you're looking for a hammer or a screwdriver or, you know, an Allen wrench, there's a possibility, there's a chance that it might be in there. So that's the first place you go anytime that you're doing a little project, you need something, uh, need a tool. So you run to the utility drawer and you reach the utility drawer and, of course, the hammer that you need is not there. Um, so you look around for a second, you think, what in the world can I use to put a nail in the wall to hang a picture? And so you're looking around and pretty soon you, you see a shoe, right? Some of you have done this. Have you ever done this? Okay, yeah, you see a shoe on the floor, and you're like, hey, a shoe's like a hammer, right? A shoe is like a hammer. You can use it to hit things. And so there you are, and you've got the nail in your hand like this because you're trying to be real gentle, and you've got, you know, your shoe in the other hand thinking this might be a bad idea, and you whack, and sure enough, it's a bad idea. And instead of having a nail in the wall, you know, you have a broke thumb um, and tire treads, on your fingers. Um, maybe you haven't done something that extreme, but maybe you have done something similar where you tried to use the wrong tool for the job that you had at hand. Uh, my wife, one time, I came in the house and she had the broom and she was swatting away with a broom. You know what she was doing? She's trying to kill a bug. Have you ever tried to kill a bug with a broom? Right? I mean, I mean not, not like a roach, but like a beetle. Like you might get a, a, a roach and a couple whacks with a broom, but you hit a beetle with the broom and the beetle's like, what's up? Here I am. And he's still walking across the kitchen floor like this is no big deal. And so she's in the kitchen just hitting this bug and hitting this bug and hitting this bug, trying to kill it. But brooms don't phase beetles, friends. <laughs> it's the wrong tool for the job. So I came over with my shoe and just went, end of beetle, right? You get the right tool for the job, things take care of themselves, Right? It's much easier to put a nail in the wall with a hammer than it is your shoe. It's much easier to kill a bug with your shoe than it is with a broom. It's just the way it goes. If you have the wrong tool, it can make life hard. And sometimes you can't even get the job done if you have the wrong tools. In the letter to the Romans, Paul is addressing a group of people who are looking for the right tool to help them become holy and help them become righteous uh, to help them live as God's people. And in the text that we're going to be focusing on this morning from Romans chapter 3, you can go ahead and get there. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, uh, and we're going to kind of walk through this text. So Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul uh, begins to say that the law is the wrong tool for us to use when it comes to our salvation. He says that the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, as it would have been referred to um, in Jewish culture, it has the power to do some things. It has the power to make us conscious of our sin. It has the power to give us rules to live by in life. But there's one thing that the law is powerless to do, and that is to save us. The law is powerless to save us. And Paul, he works this point all the way up to where we are in chapter 3. 
And he says, so when it comes to following God, trying to live into, in accordance with the law, trying to uphold all 613 plus laws in the law, that's the wrong tool for making yourself holy, for becoming holy. If you're trying to do that, you're only going to find yourself frustrated and exhausted and broken because the law is the wrong tool. The law can do lots of things, Paul says. It can instruct you, it can inform you, but it doesn't have the power to transform you, which is what we actually need. We, we don't need more rules in our life. What we actually need, need is something to transform us from the inside out. So Paul writes these words in chapter 3, verse 21. So he's talked about the law and how the law is good for lots of things, but it's not good for saving us. This is what he says then in verse 21. But now, now in the present, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So Paul's saying, listen, God has revealed something now in the present age that is different from the law and the prophets. It's different from the law and the prophets that can lead us toward righteousness in God. This righteousness, verse 22, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If you want to know how to be holy, if you want to know how to live a life that's set apart for God, how to be righteous, not just live a good life or, or have a nice family, but to live a life in and through the power of God, what you need to understand is that's only a possibility through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The law is out there, and it's got lots of good things to think about and lots of good rules to live by. But Paul would say to you, and I would say to you, you can keep the law all day long, but it doesn't have the power to transform you from the inside out. What you need is the presence of Christ in your heart and in your life. That's the only way to be transformed from the inside out. How many of you um, like to read news on the internet? Anybody like read CNN? I read CNN, and um, I, all of this comes from my Facebook feed, by the way. Like you post an inter interesting article on Facebook, I'm going to click on it and read the link on CNN or Fox News or Huffington Post or whatever it is, whatever news outlet that you put out there. Um, if, the, if the title's interesting enough, I'm going to click on it and read it. Um, so I get into some weird parts on the CNN site, and if you scroll through basically any article on the CNN site, you get to the bottom, and there are these BuzzFeed. You know BuzzFeed, these little BuzzFeed ads that always make incredible claims? Um, these are just from the BuzzFeed website, but you'll notice at the bottom of basically every website that deals with news, there are these little ads that talk about one secret trick to help you lose all of your belly fat, right? You've seen this, right? Or one crazy thing that your grandma ate that kept her healthy. You've seen this, right? The one weird trick to do this or one weird trick to do that. What kind of sandwich are you? This was one. And I was like, I'm going to click on that link. What kind of sandwich am I? Turns out I'm a turkey Reuben. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. But that's my sandwich. All right? <laughs> All of, these, all of these ads, they make these great claims. You know, one, one simple way to lose all your belly fat. Friends, there is no simple way to lose your belly fat, all right? The easiest way I can think of is sweat, okay? Work. 
That is how you lose weight. I'm trying to learn this for myself. There's no one weird food that your grandma cooked that kept her healthy. You know what kept grandma healthy? She got out and plowed the back 40 with her husband. That's what kept grandma healthy. And she ate real food. She didn't run down the street to McDonald's. Grandma ate real food, right? There's no one magic trick. There's no one secret except, except, except for when it comes to being transformed from the inside out. Here's the secret, and it's not a secret at all. The only way to live new life in and through the power of God is through Jesus Christ. Through putting your faith, your life, your trust, the whole of who you are in Jesus Christ. That's it, friends. That's it. You jump back into verse 22. Paul says that there's really no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. Why? For all have sinned. Jew, Gentile, and all fall short of the glory of God. Circle that, highlight that, underline that, because that is the truth. There's not a single one of us who can stand up in this room and say, you know what, I've made it on my own. I've lived a sinless life. I've never hurt anybody. I've never rebelled against God. I've never ignored God's word. I've never done something contrary to the will of God. There's not a single one of us in this room that can stand up and say that. The reality is that you and I, we have all fallen short. We have all messed up. We have all hurt others. We have all hurt each other. We have all acted against the will of God. And the punishment, the reward, as Paul would say, that we get for living that kind of a life is destruction. It's destruction, but thank God that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul says, and, in verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. When we come to have faith in Jesus Christ, when we realize that doing our best is not good enough, when we realize that following the rules will never make us into the people that we want to be, and that trying hard isn't the answer to what we need and to the questions that we're asking, When we come to that realization and we ask Christ to come into our hearts and be the Lord and Savior of our lives, we are justified by faith. We are justified by faith. That means that we are brought into alignment with God. Our lives go from looking like this. Bill, can you show that picture? Yeah. Our lives go from looking like this to looking like this. You know what justification is, right? Some of you grew up um, back in the day when you actually um, had to justify the type on your computer. Do you remember this? Like you had to tell the computer when you sat down to do word processing, um, that means work in word, um, to do word processing, you had to tell the computer how you wanted to justify the lines on the page. You could left justify and everything lines up on the left. You can do this on a, in word now. Or right justify and everything lines up on the right. Or block justify, that was a big deal when you could finally block justify. And, and both lines, both sides end up looking straight. 
To justify something means to bring into alignment. When our lives are justified by God, they are brought into alignment with God. The sins of our past are washed away. They're covered by the blood of Christ and washed away. And we are granted forgiveness for the sins of our past, for the sins of our present, for the sins of our future even. We are given freedom in Christ to live new lives. So we get freedom, forgiveness, and life when we give ourselves, when we give our whole selves over to God. Our lives go from being broken, shattered, out of whack to being whole and complete in Christ. Now, you're not perfect, but when you give your life to Christ, you become complete. God begins mending the wounds that you might have from your past, the broken places you might have from the way that you're living now. And God says, you know what, there's a better way for you to live from here on out. When we are justified, our lives are restored and we're allowed to enter into a life-giving relationship with God, a relationship that we couldn't experience any other way. God reconciles us to himself. He brings us in when we give our lives over to him. All of us have sinned, yes, but we are all offered grace. We are all offered grace through Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 25. Paul writes, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a sacrifice to repay the debt of our sins. That's what a sacrifice of atonement means. Blood for blood is the way you would have said it in the Old Testament, a sacrifice of atonement. Um, Some of you have credit cards um, and uh, you swipe the card, and somebody else pays for it, right? Whatever it is you're buying. You swipe the card, and Visa takes care of paying for whatever you want, except they send you a bill in the mail for the cost of whatever it is you just bought, plus interest, like 29% interest, if you're lucky. <laughs> 29% interest on whatever it is that you just bought. You owe them a debt, and that debt has to be repaid. One way or the other, Visa is going to get their money, or MasterCard is going to get their money. Somebody's going to have to pay back that company for the money that you borrowed to get whatever it is that you wanted, a pack of gum, a trip to the movies, that fancy dinner, or whatever it is that you just bought. Somebody is going to have to pay for that. The same principle works when it comes to our sin. When we sin against God, we incur a debt. The problem is none of us can do enough good to repay for the damage that we've done. None of us can afford the bill. So God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Circle that. Paul has said that twice here. His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die For our sins, 
to give us freedom and to give us life. And all we have to do is accept that forgiveness, accept that freedom, and accept that new life in Christ. Now, God doesn't offer you this gift because you're an all-star and because you're awesome and because you're cooler than everybody else that you know. God doesn't give you this gift because you're someone special. God gives this gift to everyone, not because of something you've done, something good that you've done, but because God, because God is awesome and God is righteous and God is is great. You remember this prayer, God is great, God is good. My daughter says that before we eat, every night at dinner. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. God saves us because God is great. And God is good. Not because Jonathan is great and Jonathan is good or you are great and you are good. The truth is we're all bound for destruction. Except Except for the grace of God made available to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And God offers forgiveness to us all because he is loving and because he is good. God demonstrates his righteousness by saving us by rescuing us from sin and from death and giving us forgiveness and freedom and life. Because God is great and because God is good and because God is love, love that is capable of blotting out every sin, covering every sin and every transgression, love that has the power to forgive us and free us and give us new life. God saves us because he is great. So maybe you've been caught up, like so many people get caught, caught up in legalism or following the rules or trying to live beneath the weight of the law. Maybe, maybe you've just been trying really hard to be as good as you can be to God and to the people around you, I want to tell you that that is not going to get you salvation. What brings salvation is the cross of Christ and the grace made available to us through that. And we are saved and rescued from sin and death when we give our lives wholly and completely over to God. There is no other way. There is no other way. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come to this table of grace. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion together. And this is a table that reminds us that God himself gave us life and forgiveness and freedom through his son, Jesus Christ. This table reminds us that even when all is lost and all of our hope is gone, that God is still at work in this world and that God has not given up on us at this table, we can receive mercy. We can find healing and wholeness and peace because this is a table of grace, a table that the whole world is invited to, a table where we can experience God's grace that covers all of our sins.